good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. We're starting this year with hopeful expectancy. I am, I am hoping that your 2018 is going well. Um, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see that today we are starting a new series called The Power of Bring. There is this incredible power in this concept of bringing, uh, bringing our loved ones, bringing our friends, our family members along with us as we journey with Jesus. And as you look even at the outside of your handout, you'll see that little graphic there. Some of you think Gatorade, but I think Shazam. Anybody with me? You see the little arrow? Oh, Shazam! Okay, uh, I'm dating myself, I know, like, absolutely. So uh, as, we, as we jump into this, you need to understand, uh, we'll, we'll just start with a quote, and it's one of my very favorite quotes, because um, I, I wrote it. It says, uh, where there is excitement, there is bring vitement. Where there is excitement, there is bring vitement. In other words, where you receive life, where you experience life and joy and vitality, it is so natural for you to bring others into that space. <clears throat> and it's just this interesting thing about us as humans. We, we do respond to invitations. We, we really do. It's just a part of our wiring. Uh, why else would teenagers make decisions, uh, the stuff that they do that's not planned, stuff they do maybe they don't even want to do, but they do because they're invited into it. And not just teenagers, of course. Adults are the same way. Why, why is it that adults say yes to things that they're not necessarily interested in, that they didn't even budget for, maybe they, they never even intended to be a part of, but they still say yes anyway? Uh, I'm, and this example, I'm actually talking about the fair every year, the state fair that comes around. Like, why does anybody ever show up to the fair? Uh, and maybe you're not with me in this, but I, I just have to tell you, first service was totally with me in this. Well, why would you? And nobody just dreams about, hey, I want to go park my car in a totally bumpy, barely mowed field. I want to pay more money than I ever planned to to get into an event uh, with my whole family. I, I want to walk around and avoid the landmines of manure looking at animals that aren't that interesting. I, I, I want to pay even more money to ride rides that not only look unsafe, they actually are unsafe. <laughs> and I want to pay even more money to have just a total grease bomb of a variety of food options. We're talking chocolate-covered, deep-fried sticks of butter, okay? And why would we want to do it? We say yes to these things because we're invited into, because a family friend says, oh, we're going to the fair. You guys should come with it. And we just say, we fall for it year after year after year. Uh, now, look, I know when I bring up the fair, some of you, it's like a split room. Like some of you love the fair. Just somebody really courageous. Anybody here just love to go to the fair every year? You're the inviters. Raise your hand if you love the fair. I see those hands. I see. Absolutely. Thanks for being courageous. We do have a prayer room on the second floor afterwards. If you need to be delivered from that, I'd love to pray for you. Uh, see, this, this idea, we respond to invitation, and we, we end up doing things we maybe never even thought about doing. And what's interesting to me is recognizing that a heartfelt invitation is powerful, 
Then you pick up this book and you realize that the Bible, the entire Bible, is a heartfelt invitation from God to you. The entire Bible, it's, it's an invitation from our loving Heavenly Father to be in relationship with Him, to live a life that is abundant now and then with Him for all of eternity. It's invitation. And not only that, but for those of you who are already follow Jesus, then we are invited to step into the power of bring, where we get to bring our friends, our family members, our loved ones along with us as we journey with Jesus. And when one person suggests, it's called an invitation, but when three or four uh, suggest or invite, that's, sometimes it's called peer pressure, other times it's just called friendship evangelism. And that's what we're kind of talking about in this context today, friendship evangelism. What does it look like when three or four get together to bring somebody to Jesus? And there's actually a passage in Scripture that talks specifically about that. It's in Luke chapter 5, so it's on your notes. If you have your Bibles, please feel free to open them to Luke chapter 5, verse 17 and following. It's this great, great story, and we'll just jump into it. It says, one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. Now, I don't know if, if you ever do this. Um, we're going to stop right there. I, I don't know if you do this, but I would really encourage you to, is when you read passages of Scripture like this, when you read um, narratives that describe scenarios, I really hope you take the time to picture them in your head. That you allow God to kind of stir your spiritual imagination so that you can just picture the scene unfolding as you read it. So I can just imagine as I think about this, there's a, there's a few you know, guys hanging out. They're all friends. They're bros. They're hanging out, and they just kind of start a conversation. Well, my dudes, what shall we do today? You know, and uh, maybe they sound a little bit like Keanu Reeves from Point Break. And I was like, dude, I don't know. What should we do? You know? and, and the third one's like, oh, you know that guy, Jesus is in town, and, and he's got this incredible ability to heal, like, like serious illness type stuff. I heard this from my sister's brother's boyfriend, and, and, uh, and, and they're like, oh, you know what? Let's take Johnny. Let's take Johnny down there. We'll take Johnny. If he heals Johnny, we can go skateboarding this afternoon, you know? And uh, they're like, oh, you know what? You're right. We got to do this. We, we got to do it for Johnny, man. Let's do it for Johnny. And they get excited and they pick up Johnny and they carry him down the street on a mat. They go to the house where they know Jesus is hanging out. He's teaching in. Only they can't get in. It's absolutely just chock full. It's just filled to the brim. This house is filled and overfilled. And they're all sort of like respectable people. It's all the scribes, it's all the Pharisees, it's all the religious leaders, it's all the professionals in town, everybody, you know, kind of a $500 a plate kind of a, a scenario where everyone who could, people of means, they're all packed in and they want to learn from Jesus, they, they want to listen to Jesus. Oftentimes you'll find out they want to judge Jesus, they want to evaluate Jesus, show that he's not really a great guy. So there are all kind of motives, but, but it's just, a, it's a house that's filled with somewhat respectable people. 
And as they get to the door, maybe a couple of respectable bouncers show up and they say, hey, no, not a chance. And, and so that's what's happening as they take their friend to, to, to meet Jesus. They bring him to Jesus. They can't get in. But I have a feeling these guys might have been in junior high because they refused to take no for an answer. And that actually brings me to this first truth in the power of bring, right? This power principle number one is don't give up. Don't give up. And so in verse 19, this is what we read. But they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, I think that, that's amazing to me, is they show up at the door, and they can't get in. And so you know it was like just one friend who was like, we go to the roof. Come on, let's take him to the roof. And, and, and so they get him up there. And, and by the way, it sounds really weird for us to say in our context, you know, get up on the roof. And, it, and it, honestly, if you are trying to get into my house and you climb up on my roof, I will call the cops. Uh, but, but it's just kind of a different scenario today. In, in this context, in the first century, and specifically in this region, because of the climate, etc., the roof was so often just an extension of the house. It was like an elevated patio, and they would use it for all kinds of, of reasons. Like it was a room that was utilized as a living room, sometimes as a bedroom, sometimes just as a, a place to hang out or have a barbecue or whatever. So there, there was all kinds of reasons why they were like, hey, let's go up on the roof. And the assumption I think these guys were making is there'll be a stairway down into the house. So let's get them up on the roof and we can just get inside that way. But they get up on the roof, there's no stairway. So then they just say, well, if we can't get in, we go through. And they start ripping the, the ceiling apart, right? They, they rip the tiles off and the plaster of that day would have largely been mud and straw kind of construction. So they're ripping through all of that. I could just imagine the room inside, you know, they're getting like dust and all this stuff kind of falling down on them. And then they lower their friend down through the roof. Uh, I imagine Jesus looking up and he's just seeing like four sets of eyes, you know, like look over the hole and, and they're dropping their friend down. And so all that's going, uh, uh, why is it? Because they persevere. They refuse to give up. They had a never say die attitude. They're like, this is going to happen, whatever it takes. And they just keep moving forward. I love this quote from Dale Carnegie. It says, most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. What a powerful lesson for the beginning of 2018. What a powerful reminder for you and for me to persevere to not give up, to keep trying, to keep pressing, keep leaning in, keep going for it, to keep praying, to keep holding on, right? What an incredible lesson for us to persevere. And I want you to know that the scripture indicates that God honors that attitude of heart. God sees it and God honors it. Look what it says in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who perseveres, 
right? And, and I know some of your stories, and I know that you have been praying and working and inviting and seeking to bring a loved one for years. I know for some of you, you have, you have a loved one in your life, and your heart is so tender for them. You so much want them to know the love and the grace that Jesus offers. You so much want them to experience a, a, a richer, more full life that Jesus provides. And you, you've brought that person to the Lord again and again. And, and what I want you to see here is this challenge to not give up that you keep holding on, that you keep striving, that you keep bringing, that you keep loving, that you keep encouraging, that you keep you know, being a part of their life, they, that you want to make sure that you continue to persevere on their behalf. It matters. It absolutely matters. And this is not an encouragement, by the way, for you to come with a hard sell to your loved one. It's not an encouragement for you to close the deal. You know, I got to close the deal right now kind of a thing. It's simply an encouragement for you to continue to be a loving presence that points to Jesus in their life, right? That you just keep on going. You persevere. These guys never gave up. You and I, we are to never give up. In fact, it's been said, the mighty oak is a little nut that held its ground, so this is a challenge. You, you be that little nut, okay? And these guys, these guys in the story, they were completely nuts. Okay, so uh, that's power principle number one. Don't give up. Power principle number two, if you're filling in the blanks. Jesus heals all sorts of spiritual and life paralysis. This is what we see from the story. Jesus has the capacity, he has the ability to heal all kinds of paralysis, spiritual and life paralysis. And in our world today, in our culture today, and even maybe in some of our hearts today, we see some of this paralysis, living without a purpose, having no deeper meaning or deep joy or deep pleasure or deep love in your life. Jesus is the antidote to all of this paralysis. Maybe you think more macro level and you look at the brokenness of the world, the paralysis of the world, and you see that there's the paralysis of poverty, Lack of access to clean water, uh, no access to the scriptures or missionaries that, that speak the, the message of the grace of Jesus into a heart language, or, or, or oppression, right? We see injustice all over and the paralysis of oppression in our world. And, and one of the things that we've always talked about at Overlay Christian Church is how a part of our journey with Jesus is he invites us to play this kind of a role, this kind of transformative role in our world. See, it says this in Isaiah 58. It says, and this is the Lord speaking. He says, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. You see, not only is Jesus the antidote to paralysis of all sorts, he is also the source of life transformation. 
And God, he invites us to be the expression of Jesus Christ in our world today. Right? This is the invitation for us to step into the power of bring. You know, you ask kind of a rhetorical question, does God want the chains of injustice loosed? And the answer is yes. That's his plan. That's what the scriptures talk about. And then how is it that that happens? Well, you and I, we engage in this process that we're called. And over like in so many ways, this is the church family that you are. What I do want to say and make really clear is it all starts by each one of us seeing our fellow brothers and sisters in the human race with great dignity because every single person is made in the image of our loving Heavenly Father, right? It all starts with that incredible dignity and honor that we look with all of our brothers and sisters in the human race because they're all made in God's image, and this is absolutely universally true. This is true no matter what religious or faith background they come from. It's true no matter what country they hail from. It's true no matter what ethnicity is their background. Like, like th th there is no person who is outside of the call for us to dignify and honor every single brother and sister in the human race because all of us are made in God's image. And Jesus loves us all. Amen? Amen. So this is where it all starts, right here. Now, what's interesting to me is this next line in the stories, Luke 5.20. It's, it's, it, the guy's been lowered down. He's now face-to-face -face with Jesus, and this is what it says. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith, he said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. I said they might have been in junior high. Maybe they were in junior high. He's a young man. Uh, Jesus, you know, he's just 30 or, you know, 30, 31 right now. So he's calling him young, must be young. So young man, I, 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 just, I just knew I was right. That's what I'm trying to say. So, I, <laughs> uh, so your sins are forgiven. What, what's interesting to me about this line in particular, two, I, I'm going to say fairly profound things. One is, he, it says, seeing their faith. You know, sometimes you think that your faith is like private, that it's personal. You think that it's a hidden thing and that's how it's supposed to be. I want you to recognize that the scripture is not just clear here, it's clear again and again and again. No, your faith has evidence associated with it. And the evidence of your faith is the actions that you take to show that you do honor Jesus, to show that you do care for other people, right? These are the actions of the evidence of your faith. It's not meant to be private. It's meant to be shown, right? People see this reality in your life. And so um, when it says seeing their faith, in other words, it's just a, an absolute reminder. You can actually see faith. You can see it. It's visible, it's tangible. There's, there's expressions of it that are known. And, and here's a question that I would just ask for you. If you were being put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
right? Could, could somebody, you know, in a court of law say, oh, I know they're a Christian because here's the evidence. This is how they spend their time. This is how the, you know, I, I, I've seen them do this. I've heard them pray like this. I've seen them engage their friends like, like, is there enough evidence to convict you if you were a Jesus follower? And I hope there is, right? Our, our faith needs to have action and evidence associated with it. So that's the first challenge from this verse. The second challenge that I think is really, it's just kind of jaw-dropping radical to me, is it says, seeing their faith, so that's referring to the faith of the four friends who brought Johnny, okay, you follow me? Seeing their faith, he says to the young man, to Johnny, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith, the evidence of their faith, he turns and says, your sins are forgiven are forgiven. Now, here's what we normally think. We think that if, if he sees their faith, then he says to them, your sins are forgiven because they have faith. Or if he sees the young man's faith, then he turns to the young man and says, your sins are forgiven. This doesn't say that. It says seeing their faith, the faith of the four, he turns to the one and says, your sins are forgiven. What do you do with that? I mean, that's, that, that's incredible. And I'm not trying to build a theology here. I I just want you to understand the reality of Scripture, the reality that we have as we see this example and the life that Jesus lived is this. Yes, Jesus is the one who forgives sin. And yes, it takes faith to forgive sin. And what I think the encouragement from this passage is, is look, if you have a spouse who doesn't have faith, then the encouragement is you have faith for both of you. And if you have a loved one, if you have a son or a daughter, if you have a relative who you absolutely love, but they don't have faith, well, then you just have double faith, right? You have their portion as well. And and, and this encouragement is, the the reality is that somehow in the compassion and the wisdom of Jesus, that he looks at you and he looks at your persevering and he looks at the faith that you have on behalf of your friend or on behalf of your son or daughter or husband or wife. And he looks at your faith and it matters to him. He sees that faith. Jesus says, you need to know that I see your faith. Right? I see your faith, that tearful prayer on behalf of your loved one, I see it. That cup of cold water you offer in my name, I see it. That gift you place in the offering so that the mission can continue, I see it. That time you ripped off the roof so your friend could be lowered down to me while I was teaching, I see that, I see it all. And it all makes a difference. You see, what is the single greatest need that any one of us has? It's grace. It's the grace and the unconditional love of Jesus in our lives so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be cleansed, so that all of our shame can be removed and we can be in a relationship of love with God that starts now and lasts forever and ever. That's what we need the most and that's what Jesus offers and it takes faith for that And so, friends, I'm just going to encourage you, you have faith for both of you, right? You have faith that just spills over into your relationships. And and the next verse, this is fairly typical 
um, there's almost not a story that's contained in the life and teachings of Jesus that doesn't have these guys button in at some crazy place just to judge Jesus for doing great stuff. So here it is, uh, verse 21. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, I, I wish I had a button that was just like, wah, wah. Because they're just always the downers, right? They're just always the, the, the ones who just kind of trying to mess up the party. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, I want you to underline that last phrase. Only God can forgive sin. Because what's so interesting about it is they're absolutely right. Only God can forgive sin. Jesus just forgave sin. What are the implications of that reality? Right? Make a connection. Only God can forgive sin. Jesus just forgave sin. Jesus is God. <laughs> are you following me? Like it's right there. It's right in front of us. Okay. So Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Well, what, what, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? In English, they're both kind of easy to say. Uh, in fact, stand up and walk has less syllables, so maybe you could argue that, but but it's just, it's kind of easy for us. You know, you could utter both those phrases, no problem at all. Now, I think what Jesus is saying is, how difficult is it to say these things with integrity? How, how difficult is it to say these things and actually provide the power behind the phrase? Because if you walk up to somebody who's paralyzed and you say, stand up and walk, if you don't have power, if you don't have that spiritual authority to heal in that moment, that's going to be very uncomfortable. So yeah, that, that takes a lot of, you know, something. Yeah, that's difficult to say. But I would argue to say your sins are forgiven, that takes even more. You see, Jesus, he knew exactly what it would take for that young man's sins to be forgiven. He knew exactly what it would take for your sins to be forgiven and for my sins to be forgiven. And Jesus, before he ever came to this earth, he had already made peace. He and the Father came up with a plan from the beginning of time. He knew that it would cost the crucifixion and the resurrection in order to take care of the sin problem of the world. And he was willing to go through with it. And that's why he says... Which one's harder to say? They're both difficult. Only I know the full measure of how difficult it is to say your sins are forgiven. But he doesn't leave it there. Jesus gives them an object lesson they'll never forget. He does something so significant, right? Nobody there ever forgets this. In fact, this is why thousands of years later, we're still talking about this. He says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. 
Amen. Right? It's such a powerful story. So Jesus does have the power to forgive sins. Interesting that he sort of gives an exclamation point to that by actually healing this man of his brokenness, transforming his life. And because of Jesus, this guy goes home praising God. It's a beautiful story. Now, just like we pictured the friends who, uh, you know, sound like Keanu Reeves, I, I want you to picture Johnny for a moment. Picture this guy who is paralyzed. And let's just imagine, it's not in the scripture, but let's just imagine that when his friends start talking about taking him to see Jesus, imagine that Johnny wasn't very interested. I right, just imagine. So he's, he's on the mat there, and the friends are like, hey, let's take Johnny. We've got to do it for Johnny. Let's take him to see Jesus. And he's like, guys, no, no, no. Actually, I don't want to. Not, no, no, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm busy. I'm playing Mario, you know, super kart right now, and, and I'm not... I'm not interested. I, I got, you know, big things this afternoon. And, and they're like, no, we're taking you, man. We're doing this. And they pick him up. He's like, guys, seriously, no, I don't want to go. And, and they just, they're carrying him down the street. And, and he's kind of grousing the whole way. And finally, they get to the house where Jesus is, and it's full. And Johnny's like, well, hey, gentlemen, you tried. You, you gave it a great shot. We can't get in. Now, let's go home, you know. And then that one friend, that crazy friend, is like, to the roof. And they're like, whoa, we're, we're climbing up. And Johnny's like, no, don't climb with me. Hey, you don't climb on the roof with a paralyzed guy. And you're not even using carabiners. And I did not say on belay. That's an REI joke for you guys right there. And they get up on the roof, and there's no way in. And so Johnny, once again, he's like, uh, you tried. You gave it a Herculean effort, guys. You, you really gave it a great shot. But... But it's time to call it quits, and they start ripping up the tile. You could imagine his frustration with them. His, maybe there's just a, even a little bit of embarrassment that all of this was happening. You could even imagine his heart pounding as they're lowering him down from the roof in, in, in the middle of this incredibly crowded home. And he's wondering what they're all thinking. And obviously the teaching has now stopped. All eyes are on him. And, and then he's lowered down and he's face to face with Jesus. Amen. And Jesus looks at him and he looks at Jesus. And Jesus forgives his sin. All of his shame is gone. He's set free for eternity. And then Jesus transforms his life, heals his brokenness. He's set free from the mat. He has abundant life. Do you think that guy was still a little peeved at his friends? Do you think there was any thought, any kind of residual thought after this experience that he, he's going to hold it against them that they didn't take him back home that day? Are you tracking with me? Like, I want you to see that in an instant with Jesus, his entire life and perspective, the framework for the whole rest of his future on this earth and then eternity has absolutely changed 180 degrees because he met Jesus. And so there's this beautiful reality that now he's living with. And he's not going to hunt his friends down and just give them all, you know, Rabbit punches, oh, I can't believe you brought me to Jesus. You know, like, no way. He's so excited about that. Are you, are you with me? Yep. Now, for the last time, I want you to think about his friends. 
I want you to think about those four guys on the roof, and they're looking down through that hole, and they see him jump up out of his mat, and they see him praising the Lord and, and running out of the house. What do you think happened in their hearts that day? The Bible doesn't say this, but I kind of think that they became commando evangelists for Jesus that day. I think they began to just grab anybody that they cared about, all of their friends, all their family members. They would just grab them and bring them to Jesus no matter where Jesus was, no matter what was going on. They're the ones just bringing people to Jesus. You know, grab Aunt Lois. She's like, no, leave me alone. She's like, come here. You're getting healed. All of a sudden, she's nice. It's wonderful. Like, you got healed. Oh, great, you know. And just, you know, somebody else, the blind, and, and now they're healed. Now they can see. And somebody else, they, they, they've got this affliction. Now they're healed. And, and they're all forgiven. And they're all given this abundant life. And, and their lives are transformed because of Jesus. And, and then they join the commando unit as well. And so it just grows and grows and grows. It doesn't say this in the scripture. But when Jesus fed the 5,000, I think 3,000 of them came because these guys just invited him. And I just want you to see what an incredible privilege it is to be on the front line of watching heaven invade earth and transform lives. It's such a privilege that you and I get when we step into the power of bringing our friends and family along. Right? When we step into bringing our loved ones into the presence of Jesus. It brings us to the power principle number three, which is the challenge to live bringvitationally. It's the challenge to bring others along with you. That as you're coming into places like this for corporate worship, you bring friends and family, you bring coworkers and classmates. That as you come into conversations, maybe groups that you're with that bring you life. Uh, maybe you plan, you know, breakfast where you have spiritual conversations and you want to bring those you care about with you. This, it, it could look any sort of ways, any number of ways, but it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to live bringvitationally. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in, in Rome, and he writes this. He, he says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And he's talking about Jesus. And what's interesting is when Paul wrote this to the church in Rome, the truth is that he was writing very literally that there were so many people in Rome and the surrounding region that had never, ever heard the name Jesus. They had never, ever heard about the life he lived, about the things that he taught or accomplished, about the crucifixion or the resurrection. They had never, ever heard those things. And so quite literally, Paul is saying, look, unless they hear about Jesus, they can't believe in Jesus. And how are they going to hear about Jesus if nobody tells them about Jesus? And so he's saying to the church in Rome, so that's your job. You need to tell others about Jesus. You need to be inviting others along with you as you follow Jesus. You know, in our culture today, you might push back and you might say, well, my friends and my family members, even my coworkers and classmates, they've all heard about Jesus. Jesus, you know, Jesus, culturally speaking, Jesus is big. He's as big as Bono, you know, like people know Jesus. And, and so you might push back on that. But here's what I would challenge you. And you might want to write this down in the margin somewhere. 
The challenge of this passage is that maybe they've never heard an authentic witness for Jesus. Maybe they've never heard a consistent witness for Jesus. They've never had a loving witness for Jesus. They've never had a patient witness for Jesus. They've never had a witness for Jesus that was so consistent over the course of seasons and years. You see, this is the challenge that you and I can step into as we live bring vitationally. We need to be that witness in their world for Jesus. And I know some of you already live here. Some of you delight in bringing friends. You delight in bringing, you know, whole family friends to, G, you know, to church. And, and Christmas Eve is one of those times. I know several of you have. Some of you love to bring your entire office to church with you. I know I've heard that story before. Just so you know, this week I invited my entire office to come to Overlake. <laughs> they are all here today and serving. And, uh, and they're here because I pay them to be. Okay, so... That doesn't work. But I, I do hope you know that as I seek to live out my faith and follow Jesus, that when I, you know, develop friendships at the gym, say, then there's a bring vitation along. That when I develop friends in uh, our community at large or maybe on the sports field with my kids' sports or whatever, that that's just an active part of how I seek to live. I want to live bring vitationally, and I challenge you to live the same way as well. Because I want you to see how the story of bring vitation ends from Luke. This is in verse 26. This is after the, the, the guy, Jesus, heals him. He jumps up. He takes his mat. He's praising God. And it says this. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. I'd love to have you circle the word everyone. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. Everyone. See, that's the result of bring vitation. That's the result. You know, the, 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 the friends, they brought their one friend. The one friend gets forgiveness. The one friend gets healing. The four friends get empowerment, right? They get excitement. They're, they're on fire. But everyone is filled with awe. Everyone praises God. Everyone gets to see that they were witnesses of heaven invading earth, of the supernatural coming over and, and transforming the natural. They, they, they were recognizing that they were in the presence of Jesus. Everyone has changed from that day forth. Praise the Lord. And I want you to see that when it comes to bring invitation, it really is about the power of one. It's about the power of Jesus moving in one heart. And so for you, maybe the challenge is it's the power of the one offering the invitation the one offering to bring another along. Because when that one takes a risk and asks, then there's one who responds. And then Jesus intersects the one, and eternities transform. Lives are transformed. Everyone gets to praise Jesus together. Amen. And so what I want to do now is I want to ask the Lord for his help as we live out this challenge of bring vitation. So what I, please do this. Please bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're going to ask Jesus for help. But with your eyes closed and, and with your heads bowed, what I want to ask you to do is picture the face of a friend right now. I want you to picture your loved one right now. 
ask the Lord. If you can't think of anyone immediately, ask the Lord to bring somebody to mind right now. And let me say very clearly, Jesus loves that person. He has known that person through the ages. Before that person ever was born, Jesus had them in his sights and he lived and he suffered and he died on the cross and he rose again from the grave to take care of their sin, to invite them into abundance and to offer them eternity. And so Lord Jesus, we lift up these faces of men and women who you are bringing to mind. We lift up these faces of our friends, our coworkers, our classmates. We lift up these faces of our brothers and our sisters and our moms and our dads. We lift up the faces that you died on the cross for. And we ask for the courage to live boldly for you, to have faith enough for them. And Jesus, we ask that you would show us when we offer the invitation, when we lead in a spiritual conversation, when we bring up the story of our testimony, the time when you transformed our lives and allowed us to become Jesus' followers. We ask that you would be the one who guides us in this pathway. Don't let us sit on the sideline. Help us to persevere and to live bringvitationally. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.